HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. We do more varieties and flavors of cheese than anywhere else on earth. By pushing the boundaries of what cheese can and should be, find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Hello, welcome to All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer, and it is Tuesday, January 11th, 2022. Happy New Year, everyone. I hope you had a wonderful holiday season. I'm excited to be back from our holiday break, and this is our 311th episode of this series, which is dedicated to behind-the-scenes talent in the hospitality industry. Today, my guests are two longtime hospitality professionals, who co-founded a national support group for members of the food and beverage industry battling substance abuse and addiction, and I'll introduce them fully in a moment. First, as I do in every show, I will start out with my PR tip, and then later we will have my speed round game, industry news discussion, solo dining experience, and the final question. As the founder of Bayer Public Relations, I'm going to tip off the show with my PR tip of the week. So today's tip is to know that you're not alone. Although in life, we may sometimes feel like it's us against the world, in truth, we are all in this together. There's a thread or a commonality between us all that connects us and comforts us even in the darkest times, if we allow it to. We all have stuff and bad days and things that may bring us down, but rather than wallow in our sorrow, we can lift each other up and support one another by sharing our experiences and lessons learned. So let's remember always that we have each other and that we are never alone, and that's a good thing. That's my tip today. Now, I'm very happy to have my guests joining me. They are Mickey Baxt and Steve Palmer, the co-founders of Ben's Friends, a national support group for members of the hospitality industry struggling with substance abuse and addiction. Mickey, who also serves as the executive director of Ben's Friends, has earned the title of maitre d', foodie, fundraiser, philanthropist, career restaurateur, mentor, and Charleston ambassador. He was most recently and notably the general manager of Charleston Grill at Belmont Charleston Place in Charleston, South Carolina. Steve is a James Beard Foundation Outstanding Restaurateur Award nominee and semifinalist for three consecutive years and the managing partner of the Indigo Road Hospitality Group, a hospitality and consulting company based in Charleston, South Carolina as well. Founded in 2009, the company now owns and operates more than 24 restaurants throughout the Southeast U.S. with several upcoming projects in the works. And without further ado, hello guys, welcome to the show. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Sherry. Hi. Um, so glad to have you both here. Where Where are you both calling in from? I am in Charleston, South Carolina. And I am, uh, I live in Charleston, South Carolina, but I am in Miami Beach today. Uh, we are working on a new project down here. So nice. I'm enjoying a little Miami weather and um, 
doing what I love most, which is talking to hospitality people. Amazing. I was just, I was down in Miami about two weeks ago and it was perfect weather. So take it all in. Yes. Amen. Because <laughs> it's cold up here in New York City. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I bet. I bet. So, um, I, I always like to start out with my guests and find out how they got into the industry. So uh, you want to take us back a little bit? Maybe, Mickey, you want to start? Um, what led you into hospitality? Uh, that's taking you back a real long time because <laughs> I was in restaurants for 47 years. And before I do that, I just have to say, Sherry, your PR message of today couldn't have been more appropriate for Ben's friends. You are, you are not alone. Thank you for that. A little bit about my history. I, I got into restaurants 47 years ago as a doorman in a nightclub in Newport Beach, California. And from the first night I did it, I knew unequivocally that this is what I wanted to do. I stood outside a restaurant checking IDs, and the joy that I got from talking to people, from making people smile, from creating the beginning of their experience and being there to say goodnight, it just filled my soul. I uh, eventually became a partner in that restaurant. I lost the restaurant to my alcohol and drugs about 10 years later. Uh, at that time, I decided dinner house nightclubs were not very sensible for my life. And I went into fine dining. I spent the next 35 years or 37 years in high-end fine dining in both Michigan, South Carolina, and South Carolina. Wow. Wow. Well, it drew you in. I mean, I know, I know, I feel it's a common thing with people who, um, who've been on this show who just kind of have that first restaurant job and kind of just know it's the where they should be. So, um, but yeah, uh, what about you, Steve? So my first job, Sherry, was at Yin's Chinese on Shambly Dunwoody Road in Atlanta, Georgia. I was 13. Um, I was a dishwasher and they paid me $3 an hour cash under the table, which, and I thought I was king. And uh, <clears throat> they fed me. Uh, I was the only English speaking employee. And they fed me an unnamed Chinese dish every night, which I, which was amazing. I had no idea what I was eating, but it was one of my first like real food memories. Um, so yeah, I uh, started as a dishwasher and uh, we don't have enough time to talk on this <laughs> podcast about all the things I've done, but you know, waiter, bartender, manager, sommelier, food and beverage director kind of <clears throat> followed the front of the house path. I was a I was a bad line cook in my teens, but uh, just, you know, got yelled and screamed at by the chef, burning my arms and figured out pretty quickly that out in the dining room was where I needed to be. Right. Yeah, I hear you. When when did you join uh, well, well, the Indigo Road Hospitality Group. I had that. That was in. It was founded in two thousand nine. But Correct. when did you become a, a part of it? Were you there at the the very beginning? Yeah, no, so it's yeah. No, it's my company. Um, okay. I was. Um, in, in prior to that, I was in Florida uh, building hotels as a vice president of food and beverage for a resort company. And then you know, like so many of us in 08, 09, I got laid off. Um, I had lived in Charleston previously for the bulk of my career, <clears throat> but um, the original Oak Steakhouse had been open. Uh, it was 809. Restaurants were in trouble. And um, my now business partners found me. Uh, I often kind of joke I couldn't find a job, so I started a company um, and, you know, took over the, the, the first Oak Steakhouse Um and I mean, it was, you know, like everybody, you know, eight or nine sales were falling off a cliff. There was no, you know, restaurants were losing money. So went in and really focused for about two years on turning it around and then began, you know, sort of our journey opening concepts. Um, really, I always say like, 
you know, our restaurants are a result of meals that I've had, inspirations that I've had. So that um, Oku, which is our, our sushi concept, was the first um, restaurant I opened after that in 2000. We'll be 12 years old in uh, in March, so pretty proud of that. I knew absolutely nothing about working in Asian restaurants. I just had been to Nobu and Tribeca and got inspired. Um, and um, yeah, it's been a it, man. It's been a ride the last 12 years, but um, that was kind of how the Indigo Road, uh, you know, how how I uh, kind of came to be in the middle of a financial meltdown in our country. So it was interesting. Sherry, for him to say it's been a ride has been moderate. It, it is really modest. I'm going to brag for a minute. 12 <laughs> years ago, he opened, he took over Oak and within two years opened Oak and today has probably, you were wrong on 24, 20, <laughs> probably 29 because he doesn't always tell me how many he's <laughs> opening and he has created a company that has given well over a thousand people opportunities each concept is a winner and uh, so I'm going to toot his horn for a minute because it's really in my 47 years extraordinary to see what Steve has created in such a very short time more importantly, what culture he has created within his organization. Amazing. Sorry, Steve. That's just a fact. Oh, I'm glad I'm glad you spoke of and said that and corrected me too. Oh <laughs> so. uh, well, I don't you know I don't really know how many operations. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, I, could, I could say twenty nine and next week it's thirty three. Yeah, I'm sure I, I'm not would not be surprised. So um, let's talk. Let's talk about Ben's friends and and what what brought you guys together to to form the the support group, the community. Uh, it's it's grown so much too since since you started. So do uh, you want to take us back a little bit and what inspired you guys to to co found it? Steve, you want to lead it off, and I'll jump in. Yeah, sure. So I um, Ben Murray was a chef, Sherry, that I had actually opened a restaurant in Atlanta called Canoe um, in 1995. Ben was a sous chef there. Uh, he had worked with Jean George in New York. He'd worked with Jerry Claskala in Atlanta at the Buckhead Diner. And, um, you know, we, we worked together four, five, six years and then kind of lost touch. Um Ben and I drank a lot together, did a lot of drugs, did, you know, sort of all of the things that the late nineties brought in the restaurant business. Um, and then, you know, and I, I uh, went through my own personal journey of recovery and, um, uh, and in around 2015, a, a mutual friend of ours reached out and said, Hey, Ben quote unquote has cleaned up his act. If you, um, that was right at the beginning of sort of the, the, the staffing shortage, certainly not what we're experiencing in the pandemic, but it was right when we were kind of all started talking about like, hey, there's so many restaurants opening that there's not enough people to work in them. Um, and so I brought Ben on to open a restaurant with us. Uh, we put him up in a hotel um, I, you know, it was an opening. It was six weeks of 7 a.m. to midnight. I never saw Ben take a drink. He worked hard. He, um, the words depressed were absolutely not the words you would have associated with Ben Murray. And, um, you know, Sherry, he stopped coming to, to work. Um, and he, uh, unfortunately he shot himself in, in the hotel room uh, and committed suicide. And as, and as I was, um, you know, talking to his 80 year old mother, it came out, the story started to unfold. Ben had been in and out of detox six different times. Um, but he would never go to those meetings, you know, the 12 step community, um, Ben, um, uh, you know, and, and so the, the true sad irony was opening night in this restaurant, myself, 
Scott Crawford, Elliot Kusher, Eric Ziska. There were four of us that were in the sober community. It would have done anything to help Ben if he would have just said, I'm struggling. How are you doing this? And so um, Mickey and I had even more irony about a year prior, Mickey and I had gone to breakfast and said, you know, we should start a group for the support group for the restaurant business. And we were talking about how much sobriety had given us and how much we loved being in hospitality and being sober, which, you know, it's becoming less common every day, which I couldn't be more thrilled about. But, you know, seven, seven, this is probably seven years ago, the whole mental health conversation that we're all now having was not happening. So we decided, um, let's start a weekly support group. Let's call it Ben's friends in honor of Ben. And, uh, you know, Mickey may have a different take on this, but, but we, you know, we popped up in two or three cities. Um, and then Anthony Bourdain killed himself. And, uh, I always am a believer that blessings come out of a curse, much like Ben's suicide is what created Ben's friends. When Bourdain killed himself, it felt to me like, the national media, LA times, wall street journal, New York times, like literally came calling to Ben's friends and said, Hey, what is this Ben's friends? And articles would get written and then people around the country would read them. And they started reaching out saying, Hey, we want to do a Ben's friends. So I feel like we kind of went from four to 14 almost overnight, but, um, that was kind of the genesis for it. Mickey, Mickey may want to add some color to that. You, you know, I, I do. I, I think Ben's passing was an impetus because I, I will never forget Steve's call. But the reality of the matter is I've been sober. Steve's been sober a long time before we started Ben's Friends. I've been sober a long time and for years and years and years. Both of us saw so many people destroying their lives, so many people dying in our industry, so many people who spend their days caring for others, not in the least caring for themselves. And for me personally, you know, Ben's, Ben's was the final straw, Ben's passing. But for me, there was also two weeks prior to Ben's friends, as Steve will remember, we had the Charleston Food and Wine Festival here with people from all over the country and three young restaurant people died as a result of alcohol and drugs in a 36-hour period. One of them had cooked me a lunch the afternoon he died. And it was just an onslaught. And Steve and I talked about it a lot, about how our industry was inundated with alcohol and drugs. And then when Ben, ben happened, that was, that was the, the fulcrum. That was the moment where it just sort of enough is enough. You know, our industry has been plagued with amazing people who give their hearts and souls to their guests, but then turn their backs on themselves, as far as I'm concerned. And so I think that Ben's, Ben's passing was unconditionally the moment where we said we have to do something. But this had been building in our industry for years. And, and Steve is 100% right. The timing was unbelievable because Bourdain's passing really opened up the floodgate and the conversation has now changed. You know, and that, that was a blessing out of a tragedy. No question about it. Yes. Yes, everything you both have said is it resonates a lot with me um, because I'm I'm a longtime hospitality industry person and I'm also a longtime sober person. Uh, I, I stopped drinking in 2002, so all of this relates to me and all of this, this the conversation uh, that as as someone who's been in the industry as as Steve you said like it really wasn't something that people talked much about. Um, at least at the beginning of my sobriety, and it's changed so much. And the fact that you guys, yeah, I guess you'd say maybe it was the last straw or, or what, what got you to 
start Ben's Friends um, with Ben's passing. But um, I think it's such important work that you're doing. And it's amazing that this this support group now exists um, for people in the industry. And I know, I know, Steve, we talked about it a little too back at um, in Aspen. At, I think it was 2019 when we were both there together. Um, but so much has changed yeah. since then, since with with the pandemic. Um, and we also, I was at Charleston Wine and Food Festival with you guys in right before the pandemic. Um, no, also had some conversations. Yep. So yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, it's 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 fascinating to me. Um, you know, and the pandemic has obviously added this whole other layer, which um, I'm, I'm really proud um, of, of how Ben's Friends has pivoted. But yeah, I mean, it, it, you know, because, you know, we now have 20 Zoom meetings a week. Um, but it's also, it's also, I think, you know, Mickey and I were talking today. I mean, we, we try to get the in-person meetings going again, and then there's a surge. And, and um, you know, because, I mean, as you know, Sherry, nothing, I mean, and listen, Zoom has been incredible for Ben's Friends. We, we have people that have never been to a Ben's Friends meeting that, um, I mean, there's hundreds of people dialing in every week, but nothing replaces that human connection. Right. I mean, especially when you're in early sobriety, what you need is to be surrounded by people like minded people. And I think that was, you know, forever the 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 genesis and the the the, you know, what we, in the 12 step community, when those things were founded, I mean, the idea was it's just one drunk helping another drunk and um you know, Ben's friends is very much that. So it's the last two years have been a lot of pivoting. And I want to say, you know, Mickey is the executive director has done so much work. Not, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, my day job keeps me pretty busy, but Mickey has done and continues to be relentless, uh, in his passion for, um, expanding the Ben's friends conversation and, and reaching out because all three of us know this. I mean, I was just telling Mickey, I was at a big event at Blackberry farm this weekend and, you know, just chefs that I know that are just struggling mightily with addiction. And it's hard when you're one of us to see one of them doing that. But we also know that, you know, people have to want to get help, um, and hopefully what we're doing with Ben's friends is at least creating enough awareness. So that when those people come to that moment, when they are willing, they know that we're here for them. Yes. Yes. It's true. And very, and very important. And, and, and Mickey, thank you for saying, uh, that about my, my tip at the beginning as well, because I mean, I, when I, when I wrote the tip, I was, obviously thinking of you guys and Ben's friends or what, you know, it inspired what, what my message was today, because I do think that we're not, we're not, you know, sometimes you think you're alone, but really there's so many like-minded people out there. Um, and I think, you know, finding, you know, if, well, let's talk about finding for people who want to, to go to a meeting or, or get involved. Is it, how can anyone, can anyone sign up? Like, tell tell listeners a bit how Wait. how it's structured and works. Sherry, uh, uh, first of all, before anything, congratulations on your twenty years. Um, uh, that uh, it's just fabulous, and Thank you. I, I, I needed to say that. And here's what I'll say: what the old timers said to me. 39 years ago, they used to say, just wait, kid, it gets better and better <laughs> and better. And you know what? They were right. Ben's Friends is really easy to find. And I want to just touch on a, a subject. Um, Steve and I are really clear on the fact that AA saved our lives. We are not trying to be a replacement. What we're trying to do is create a community of like-minded people who not only share their addictions and, and the pain of their addictions, but share their lives and lifestyles. When I was a young kid, I went to AA at 24 years old, and I could not relate to anybody, and everybody told me to get out of restaurants. 
we don't want people to have to give up not just their best friend, i.e. the booze and drugs, but give up the industry they love and we don't believe they need to. So I think the beauty of Ben's Friends for Hospitality People is we talk the language that you hear in a restaurant every single day. We understand what it's like to stand behind a bar sober pouring drinks, to be on a, a pressure cooker a cooking line, to miss holidays, to miss birthdays. We understand the lifestyle and that creates the togetherness that uh, your, your statement, you're not alone, that makes people feel they're not alone. So I, I just wanted to say that Ben's Friends is easily found. All you have to do is go to Ben's Friends, uh, type in Ben's Friends on Google, and it'll take you there. Our meetings are listed. You click a button. It's so simple. You can join us any day at 1 p.m. Eastern, nights at 11 p.m. Eastern. There's a men's meeting, a women's meeting on Wednesday nights, and they all can be found on the Ben's Friends website, which is bensfriendshope.com. But all you have to do is type in Ben's Friends. We welcome anybody. Uh, we Anybody who is looking to uh, find a way to get sober, our door is open. Uh, we are focused on the industry, but I have to tell you, there's people who come who just find the meetings a little more to their lifestyle and to their, their way of thinking. So it's, it's quite easy to find. Ben's Friends Hope, or just type in Ben's Friends in Google. And who, who, who's leading the meetings? Are you finding different chefs and just industry people in different cities that are volunteering to we do that? Have, yes, we have, we have a, a core group of leaders. Uh, every day there's a different uh, leader. Every day of the week there's a different leader. Uh, you know, Phil Spears, the sh great chef out of Austin, Gabriel Rucker uh, out of Portland. We've got a, a master uh, mixologist, Bjorn, Bjorn Borg, uh, doing it. But each day of the week and each night, there is a different leader uh, who is in the industry who has at least a couple of years of solid sobriety under their belt, leading the meeting so that they're not all the same, so that the subjects change, the topics change, and uh, we keep it fresh. Great. Let me, before we take a break, let me ask you, you guys, my question from my last guest on episode 310, I had on Virgilio Martinez. He's the chef and owner of Central in Lima, Peru. He's a new book out called The Latin American Cookbook. And he wants to know if you know Sean Brock and his restaurants. And <laughs> what do you think about what he's been doing? And he's talked about how he has a whole area to help people with emotional issues. Do you think it's necessary to have this in all kinds of restaurants? And um, I know you guys, I'm pretty sure you know Sean Brock. So, <laughs> um, sure, uh, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in. So um, Sean's first cooking job was at a restaurant called Peninsula Grill in Charleston that um, I was the general manager of and actually where I got sober. So I've known Sean for 20 some odd years. Um, you know, I think, listen, he is another person in our industry that has um, gotten sober, um, but has also realized that like we have to do better in caring for our employees. Um, I, I just said this this morning, look, I can't change the work. In other words, eight o'clock on a Saturday night, I can't change the fact that that's gonna feel, that's gonna be hectic and that's gonna be stressful. What we as owner operators can do though is change the way it feels to do the work. And, you know, and Sean's interpretation of that is, is to have a meditation chamber and a mental health room. He's somebody that um, practices meditation daily. And I, I know Mickey feels the same way. We, we support, listen, anybody who's trying to better the environment that hospitality occurs, I, I applaud um, 
you know, ours is doing Ben's friends. And, um, you know, do I think that every restaurant should have a meditation room or can have a meditation room? Well, you know, as any restaurant owner knows, the economics, the rent, the capital structure, I mean, those all vary from operator to operator. So it would be hard to say that everybody should do this. Yeah. But, Steve, um, but I certainly applaud Sean for doing it. Yeah, Steve, let me jump in. And, and I agree with everything he says. I think if Sean can do it, it's fabulous. I have to tell you, I am thrilled and was thrilled beyond words that Sean found sobriety. It, it, it was absolutely fabulous and it was needed. So I'm thrilled about that and thrilled of how he pushes well-being. The reality is, as Steve just said, nobody, everybody can open a, a meditation room and everybody can't do this. But what needs to happen, and Steve and I talk about this a lot, is the attitudes of the owners need to be changed. It's, you know, we spend so much time thinking about what are we going to do for our guest, and yet we treated our, and I am guilty, I'm confessing, as owner of three restaurants, as manager, I literally treated people with drinking problems, even in sobriety, poorly. We all know the old adage was, you're drunk, get the hell out of here. I mean, we didn't think twice about it. You did it again, don't come back. There needs to be a shift in our industry. And as I said, Steve and I talk about this a lot. How we treat our people, we need to treat them the same way we do our guests. We need to be compassionate to them and caring about them. Somebody is exhibiting signs, we need to talk to them, not push them away, not not minimize them. Somebody has a problem, we need to sit down and find out how we can help them with that problem. And for me and Steve, I know I'm speaking for him, that shift in the industry is long overdue. And I am ecstatic that it's here. On that note, Let's take a little break and we will come back and we will play my speed round game, talk some industry news. I have my solo dining experience this week and the final question. So stay with us. This is All in the Industry on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by Wisconsin Cheese. Wisconsin, the state of cheese, makes half of the nation's specialty cheese and wins more awards than any other state or country. Our heritage and traditions, master cheesemaker program, and the American propensity for innovation all put Wisconsin on the cutting wedge of cheesemaking. With over 600 varieties of cheese to choose from and 5,500 national and international awards and counting, Get ready to turn your refrigerator into a trophy case. Enjoying a Wisconsin cheese is basically like winning a gold medal in culinary achievement. Set your mind at cheese. When you bite into a wedge of Wisconsin wonderful, you know it is made with the ultimate skill and passion possible. Find your next favorite cheese at wisconsincheese.com. Welcome back to All in the Industry and Heritage Radio Network. I'm your host, Sherry Bayer. My guests today are Mickey Baxt and Steve Palmer, the co-founders of Ben's Friends, a national support group for people in the hospitality industry struggling with substance abuse and addiction. So it's now time for my speed round game. And what this is, is I'm going to name a couple things and you get to pick your preference, such as chocolate or vanilla. So <laughs> Mickey and Steve, are you guys ready? Yes. Anything with sugar. <laughs> Love it. Okay. Here we you go. Yes, in a movie. <laughs> All right. Eat in at home or eat out at a restaurant? Restaurant. Restaurant. Indoor dining or al fresco dining? Al fresco. Al fresco. Well, this, this is a standard one, but I got to ask. Wine, beer, cocktail, mocktail, or champagne? Mocktail. Mocktail. 
Tasting menu or a la carte? A la carte. A la carte. Small plates or large plates? Large small, plates. Small plates. <laughs> How about communal table or chef's counter? Chef's counter. Chef's counter. Tipping or all-inclusive charge? Tipping. Tipping. All right, a few more. She crab soup or shrimp and grits? She crab soup. Shrimp, shrimp and grits. <laughs> okay, in-person meetings or online meetings? In-person. In-person. And the last two are cheese plate or dessert? Dessert. Uh, you're kidding. Dessert. <laughs> Manhattan, Brooklyn, or Charleston? Charleston. Manhattan. Ooh. Go Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Well, that was fun. Very compatible. Yeah. <laughs> we like each other, too. Good to know. Good to know. Um yeah, um, well, that's the game. And I have to say over, you know, there's a lot of, of guests I've had on more recently. And with the, my my drinking question, a lot answer mocktail or uh, more than more than years ago. So it's definitely shift in, in the industry. Uh, so for industry news, uh, I picked out an article that was in the New York Times. It was by Kim Severson and it's entitled, How Will Americans Eat in 2022? The food forecasters speak. They see a new interest in mushrooms, a rethinking of chicken and coffee, and a resurgence of 1980s cocktails, and believe it or not, a return to civility. So it's always, I think, fun to kind of predict or or talk about what we think is going to trend in the new year. Um, I don't know if you guys saw this piece. but I thought we could talk about a few of the things like for ingredient of the year, they, they have mushrooms being um, that there's going to, they're going to be everywhere. Apparently Uh, any, are you putting more mushrooms on your menu, Steve? Well, I am long been a lover of mushrooms. Um, They are compatible uh, with so many things. I love the seasonality of mushrooms, you know, chanterelles in the summer, morels in the spring. Um, So I am always advocating with our chefs to cook with more mushrooms. So I would say yes. I I recently went to, uh, treated myself to go to 11 Madison Park, their new vegan menu. And the first couple dishes all started out with mushrooms. So uh, Daniel Hume is on that trend already. Another another trend that I, I thought was interesting, they're talking about, I mean, we're talking about drinks, but they're saying party like it's 1985, drinks like the Long Island iced tea are going to come back. Whenever I think of Long Island iced tea, I just think how potent that was. And that was like a drink way back in the day you drank if you if you did want to get get lit pretty fast. <laughs> no, that makes sense to me. I, I, I think I think for me, uh, it makes sense because I can't help but feel that people are looking backwards to a more peaceful, what they perceive as peaceful time. And so I, I, I'm not surprised that there's going to be, and I think there will be a trend towards some more of the classical and traditional things, both in food and in beverage. But then again, what do I know? But that's my thought. Yeah, I'm like Mickey. I think I wouldn't be surprised if we see a little bit of return to fine dining. Um, I think people definitely want to dress up again. They, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in that same vein. I hope that dining as escapism and I'm not necessarily even saying tasting menus, just, um, you know, what we remember the 90s with fine dining. I, I would love to see some of that return. Yep, I agree. Yeah, I agree, too. I think it's nice to, I mean, I, I know that for certain, uh, especially during the pandemic, I mean, 
there's a, I'm a big solo diner and there's a big difference in, in dining alone in your apartment and dining out at a restaurant. It's about the experience and it's, it's, it's about, it's so much more than the food. And, and I think people realize that not just the soloists is that like the whole experience of it and want to get together and celebrate and kind of, uh, have, I don't know, get dressed up and go out for dinner. And I think, I think people are craving that more. So I, I, I think we'll see that. And, and with a mix between, you know, I don't, I don't know. Sometimes people predict fine dining is, is dead or is going to go away, but I don't, I don't think so. I think people always um, appreciate that or, or, or want to have those celebratory dinners and special long dinners or lunches. I think people are going to also appreciate, you said something, Tamara, the experience. People are also going to appreciate restaurateurs who take the time to help create the experience. There is, there is a, a, a trend in some restaurants to minimize the, the service experience and the, and the, the physical experience. And, and I think, People like Steve, who, you know, they push the hospitality uh, aspect of it, not just the food. I think there's going to be a, a desire to be treated wonderfully again. Yes, I agree. And I'll just, I mean, people, this is a pretty long piece, has a lots of, lots of trend predictions, but my favorite word from it that I was, um, says there's a new adjective, adjective called swicy. It's like combining sweet and spicy flavors. So I thought that was that was fun saying we're going to see more of that on menus. Swicy flavors. Um, but uh, and also it was saying hibiscus is a flavor of the year. So it was some interesting stuff. I think yeah, I need I to remember. The candy thing. China and South Korea. I I Nostalgic childhood favorites from China and South Korea. What was from China that we ate as children? I don't know. Egg, egg foo young. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> that egg wasn't a candy. <laughs> oh, candy. Oh. Yeah. It, it says candy nostalgia. Nostalgic childhood favorites from China and South Korea will work their way into American shopping carts. But for the life of me, I don't know what. Chinese candy there was when I was a kid. Yeah, that doesn't doesn't hit home with me either. Yeah. But um, I don't know. Well, well, well. I don't know. We'll see if that makes a comeback. And and who talks about that? <laughs> did, did you notice the one, Sarah, about tasty edible silverware, spoons, chopsticks, yeah. plates, bowls? It was a, there was a picture even, I think of like an edible coffee cup, um, in the article. So like a way, like it's a wafer cup or something. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. I think I, uh, you know, I should probably do and other people's kind of look, go back now at the end of this year, look back and, and go revisit this list and see, well, did, did this stuff really um happened this past year because sometimes we predict and we don't we don't then look back and see if any of it did come true so we shall see um but uh if people want to check it out it's in the new york times it's online still um they updated it recently i saw and uh for my solo dining experience this week uh i went to porter house bar and grill so here's the rundown the location, 10 Columbus Circle, fourth floor, the shops at Columbus Circle in New York City. The concept is an award-winning contemporary restaurant featuring seasonally inspired American classics, and it's considered one of the best steakhouses in New York City. The chef and owner is Michael LaMonico. Oh, my why, God. Why did I go? Well, this is in my neighborhood. It's now cold winter winter nights here in, in New York City, and I felt like staying local, and I was also craving a burger. So I was like, let me go back to Porterhouse because I know I like it. It's a great restaurant. So my experience, um, I went as a walk-in, which is also a nice thing. I feel like with the pandemic, I kind of missed that 
being able to walk in places or feel like you could. So I was able to walk in up here in New York, it showed proof of, of vaccination and ID uh, to dine inside. Um, but I was, I was able to go in. It was, it was a, a weekday night around seven. It was pretty busy. It was right before the holidays and um, before the spread of Omicron happening. So more people were out. And um, the bar was pretty busy. I got a seat in the, the lounge area that was next to the bar and I was warmly greeted. Uh, they were busy, but I had, you know, good service, really lovely, lovely server helped me. And um, I had a great time. So what did I get? I went for the aged prime beef burger. I had white cheddar cheese on it and it came with fries. It also came with onion rings, two onion rings, which was cool. Um, and my take, it was delicious. Uh, I ate half of it. It was a big burger. I got it medium rare. It's perfectly cooked. I took the rest to go, which I often do when I get big burgers. I mean, I enjoy eating them, but sometimes, you know, save half for later. Um, and it, it really hit the spot. The, uh, the ambiance there, so it's a modern steakhouse. It has an inviting bar and lounge up front and a spacious dining room that, that has a view of Columbus Circle in the corner of Central Park. I'd say it's perfect for meat lovers and more. It has way more than meat and steak on the menu. Interesting tidbit, Chef LaMonico has spent his career celebrating the bounty of the American table at some of New York City's most iconic restaurants, including 21 Windows on the World and Gustavino's. Before opening Porterhouse in 2006, he he, oh, oh, he did that before opening Porterhouse in 2006, sorry. And um, he also currently has Hudson Yards Grill in Hudson Yards. Personal fun fact, last time I dined there was a couple years ago with Jimmy Yui of Yui Design. He's a friend and colleague. He's a past guest of this show, and he was a speaker at my host conference. And he's an amazing kitchen designer, and we sat up front in a little booth and had a great meal. So I'm a fan of this place, and I was due to go back because I hadn't been since the pandemic. The cost was $29. Yes, it's a pricey burger, but it is worth it. That's not including tax and gratuity. Would I go back? Yes. Website is porterhousenyc.com and their Instagram is porterhouse underscore NY. Uh, so there you go. Have have either of you been there? Um, you know, Michael LaMonaco? Uh, I have not been there, but you, you know, Michael was the chef at Windows on the World when the, the towers came down. I do know that. Yeah, yeah. And I also know, I think his story goes that he... He had it. It was either an, an eye, eye, doctor. eye doctor appointment or he was yes. picking up eyeglasses yes. that morning. He was so supposed to be there for a banquet that was being held, but his glasses broke the night before and he stopped at the eye doctor's place to get his glasses fixed. Yes. And that's, that's powerful, incredible. It really is. It really is. And um, yeah. Um, and he's, he's a wonderful, he's, I, 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 know, I know him a little bit. He's a wonderful person and chef and restaurateur. I mean, he's a, a, and I'm glad this restaurant has been very successful in what I still call Time Warner Center, even though it, that's not the name of it. It's, <laughs> it's the shops of, at Columbus Circle, but um, he's been there for a while. Right. So um Okay, so it's time for the final question. So my next guests are Claudine Pepin. She's oh. the president. She's the president and co-founder of Jacques Pepin Foundation, and the only daughter of Jacques Pepin. And Raleigh Wesson, the co-founder and executive director of the Jacques Pepin Foundation, and Claudine's husband. And together they founded the Jacques Pepin Foundation in 2016, which supports culinary and life skills training for individuals with barriers to employment through community kitchens. I'm sure, and I don't need to say this, but I will. Jacques Pepin, if you don't know, is an iconic chef, TV host, cookbook author, instructor, artist. Um, he's, he's a legend. So Mickey and Steve, can you please ask a question for Claudine and Raleigh? Um, so it, more of a prediction, uh, having just opened a French brasserie in Charleston, do you believe that French cuisine is making a comeback? I like it. 
I don't have one off the top of my head, to be honest with you. Okay, we could just ask one. Yeah, ask one. <laughs> Fair enough, works. Um, and and that's the show. Uh, thank you guys so much for joining me. Thank you for the incredible work and commitment to our industry. I'm 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 really in awe of everything you do and and your and your careers and your success and just just being a part of this industry together. And um, I wish you much continued success. And thank you for talking, Ben's friends, with us. And thank you for helping to spread the word. And again, congratulations on your 20. Thank you. Yeah, I guess you'd say 19 and a half at this point, but um, it's coming. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. Thank Take you, care. Sherry. Thank you, Sherry. And I hope to see you guys soon and get back to Charleston and or and and all of your restaurants. So please reach out when you come. I certainly will. Thank you. My guests today have been Mickey Bax and Steve Palmer, the co-founders of Ben's Friends, which is a national support group for people in the hospitality industry struggling with substance abuse and addiction. Their website is uh, bensfriendshope.com and also Steve's website is the Indigo Road. Dot com and you can follow them at Ben's Friends National, the hashtag Ben's Friends at Mickey Bax and at Steve Palmer 12. You can follow me at Sherry Bayer at Bayer PR and at All Industry. My Facebook page is all in the industry. My websites are BayerPublicRelations.com, SherryBayer.com, and all in the industry.com. All of our shows are archived at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. We are also on iTunes, Stitcher, and Spotify. Thanks to my engineer today, Armin. Thanks again to Mickey and Steve. And thanks to their awesome publicist, Emily. I'm your host and producer, Sherry Bayer. I will be back next week with a new show. Hope you'll tune in then. And thank you for being part of All in the Industry. Bye. All in the Industry is powered by Simplecast. I'm Sherry Bayer, and you're listening to Heritage Radio Network, a member-supported podcast network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. This year, HRN is celebrating 10 years of food radio. For the past decade, we've been taking you behind the scenes of farms, restaurants, breweries, school cafeterias, and more. It's been 10 years, and we're just getting started. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org.